Welcome to Journal Talk, a weekly podcast about journal writing for passion, clarity, and purpose. Passion. Reignite that passion for the things and people you care about most. Clarity. Discover who you are and what you really want. Purpose. Get to the heart of life's issues to remember your divine purpose. And now, here's your host of Journal Talk, Nathan Oren. Hello and welcome to episode number 67 of Journal Talk. I say that like it's so significant because I just realized that between these 67 episodes of Journal Talk plus the 37 episodes of Journal Talk Q&A, I kind of number them separately. I don't know why I started doing that, but I now have recorded over 100 episodes all together. And I never did a, a special celebration of the 100th episode of Journal Talk or anything like that because I split them out. And this isn't even counting the Capturing Life Through Technology podcast through Easy Journaling. So, there's great celebration in the air here at Write for Life. And I have another exciting announcement. There's a brand new podcast that is just being launched right now, the uh, Penzu podcast. Uh, Penzu, if you might know, is one of the leading journal writing apps out there. Many of you may have an online journal. Many of you may have Penzu. This is one that has both the online version, so you can type your journal right into your computer, into the cloud, as well as an uh, iPhone or an Android version. So you can download an app to your phone and record your journal that way. And they started up a monthly podcast for their journal writing community. It's called the Penzu Podcast. And they've hired me to provide their content. So you can check them out at podcast.penzu.com. And I'll be sharing some of my journal talk interviews on that program, including the one that you're just about to hear right now. And so some of the content may be repeated on both channels, but I'll also be sharing some tips on keeping electronic journaling, and there's other goodies there for the Penzu podcast folks, so that's really cool. My last announcement before I introduce the guest for this week is a time-sensitive opportunity. For those of you who have been following me for a while, you might remember the dream journaling workshop that I've been leading online. And I've been doing this for a couple of years now, but I have uh, developed a method for remembering your dreams better and translating them into valuable insights that apply to things going on currently in your waking life. I'm really proud to share that the very first Wednesday coming up, Wednesday in February, and continuing for all four Wednesdays, in February. I'm going to be leading that workshop live and in person at the Santa Barbara Center for Lifelong Learning. It's a division of the Santa Barbara City College. And if you're in the Santa Barbara area and you have Wednesday mornings free, then come on down. It's very inexpensive. We meet for two and a half hours each Wednesday, and I share the most effective strategies for remembering your dreams more vividly and a guaranteed method for listening to those subconscious messages so that you know what they're saying. Uh, I don't interpret, just so you know, I don't interpret, I don't analyze your dreams. Instead, what I do is I help you do that for yourself so that you can go into your dream life and pull out the meaning for yourself. I hope you join me. It'll be the first time that I'm facilitating this workshop with a live group. I've done it many, many times over the telephone, on webinars, but having a live group makes it uh, so much more interesting. There's going to be a lot of fun. Visit easyjournaling.com slash insights from dreams, and that'll give you all the information. All right, enough of the announcements. This week, I'm really proud to have a guest that I have admired from afar for a very long time. Susan Borkin is a psychotherapist and a speaker based in the San Francisco Bay Area. And since 1978, she has specialized in the therapeutic use of writing. She's the author of two prior books on the transformative power of journaling. One was called Writing from the Inside Out, and the other one is When Your Heart Speaks, Take Good Notes. 
Most recently, she received an Eric Hoffer Book Award honorable mention for her third book, which is called The Healing Power of Writing, published by W.W. Norton. Now, I've listened to this conversation that I recorded probably about a dozen times already. I just get a kick out of hearing Susan share. And you're not going to want to miss the excellent journaling exercise that Susan offers to any of her clients that suffer with anxiety or phobias or any kind of paralyzing fear. I shared this with a friend who has a fear of public speaking and he said that it helped him enormously to feel more comfortable standing up and giving a speech. So in this conversation, Susan takes us on a historical journey that amounts to what might be the origins of writing therapy stemming all the way from the early parts of psychotherapy. I learned a lot about the handshake the link between talk therapy and writing therapy from this conversation. And I learned about the man who first coined that phrase, the aha moment. So it was really interesting. For all these reasons, this conversation with Susan gave me so much of a richer appreciation for the reasons why journaling is such a powerful therapeutic tool. You know, I asked Susan about her newest book, The Healing Power of Writing. It's sold on Amazon. It is a therapist's guide to using journaling with clients, but it's actually a practical guide for using specific journal writing exercises that address the most common psychological conditions. So you're going to hear all about that and a lot more. Plus, I was really grateful that Susan generously offered to give away free copies of her book, the second book, When Your Heart Speaks, Take Good Notes. And all you have to do is visit SusanBorkin.com and complete the order form there. Now, she'll explain. She's uh, asking for you to pay the, the cost for shipping, since that depends on where you live and we've got people everywhere. But what a great-hearted gesture for Journal Talk and the Penzu podcast listeners around the world. Susan, if you're listening, thank you again. And now, Please enjoy this conversation with Susan Borkin. Okay, and with me now on the telephone is the one, the only Susan Borkin. <laughs> Hi, Susan. Hi, Nathan. The one and only. I mean, really. Well, I loved our initial conversation. And it's a real pleasure for me to speak with you. I've known you before you've known me. And I've kind of been following you on IAJW and some of the other things that you've done. And I just think it's wonderful. You've got such a, a great sense of humor. And I love what you've done with uh, just the whole the whole industry of journal writing. In fact, I remember that passage that you read in one of the uh, segments on the IAJW offering, and you went through sort of a history of journal writing and how journal writing was really nothing. It was a big question mark uh, in when you first started. And now it's like everywhere. It was permeated. It, per, right. The world is permeating with <laughs> journal writing offerings. Yes, it's true. Isn't that funny? It, it really has exploded. And I'm, I'm glad you explained that because when you first said you'd been following me, I was concerned about stalking, Nathan. <laughs> I'm really glad you've sort of put that in context. So. <laughs> no, I, I don't know your address or telephone number or anything. Um, uh, social media stalking. Maybe that's yeah, what right. I've done. Yeah, social media stalking. <laughs> I've been following it. They call it following. Yeah. Good to have a following. Okay. So. Very good. Welcome, Susan. It's so great to have you on the program. There may be some people here who don't know you as well as I do. So uh, could you take just a moment and describe a little bit about your background and what you do? Well, okay. I am a psychotherapist by training. So that's kind of my main work. But what happened over the years, Nathan, is that I began to actually, I probably, you know, I actually started doing the journaling stuff before it was called journaling. Hmm. And it was still a noun, journal, journal writing, journal writer. And sometimes it took me a long time to get my mouth to say journaling because it's like, oh, please. Do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like turning the word hot tub into hot tubbing. When did this happen? But anyway, <laughs> it just bothers me. But now that I say it, it, it is tripping off my tongue a bit more. But this is in the olden days when journal writing was kind of what we said. So it was like 
19, oh my goodness, 1978, I did my master's uh, thesis. Oh my gosh. One, I know, you weren't even born. Okay. <laughs> I was, I was. I was walking around. I was doing stuff. Yeah. My parents had already separated. Oh. Yeah, I was uh, seven years old. Oh my, I was in graduate school and you were... <laughs> I, should, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, funny things you wish you could take back. Hmm. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> good with that. Um, so what happened is that, well, should I go further back? Let me go further back. I've always been a writer. I feel like uh, no one ever told me that, but I would, I, words were just sort of natural, kind of mm. something I went toward. And I, I remember even as a little kid, I was upset one day because we couldn't go outside because the class had misbehaved. I was in grade school and I was so angry sitting on the gym floor that I started to write words with my fingers about how mean the teachers were. Mm. Now, years and years later, I heard Penny Baker say, James Penny Baker say, and then we tried an experiment with finger writing. And I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah. Big deal. I did that in sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but when a researcher says it, it just has so much more weight somehow, right? <laughs> writing on the gym floor with my fingers, but that's what I was doing. And then I, I would just be drawn to things. I'm like, I won a jingle contest. This is so embarrassing. And I won, you know, like an essay contest, stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Happened. Let me ask you. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting my own question of you. <laughs> And maybe we can come back to this, but I've wondered, and I wonder if you wonder, are there people who are just word literate and people who are not? Or are all people word people and they some people just haven't tapped into it yet? Well, that is an excellent question, and I have no idea. But here's what I have observed. There are people who see things in images. There are mm-hmm. people see notice things in words. I sometimes when I'm out walking in nature, I see something and I think, you know, I wish I could paint. This words will not do this justice. Mm-hmm. You know, sunrise. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And I want to paint, but I put my hand on the paper and it doesn't go that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there is my guess is just from what I know about the brain, which is very limited because we don't know a lot about the brain, is that There are people probably who have an orientation more towards words or an orientation more toward hearing or, you know, auditory, Mm -hmm. uh, visual, uh, word. I think that we're probably all divided up on that pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I suppose the musician would be asking the same question. Are we all musicians and we just haven't tapped into it? And uh, if you heard me play the violin when I was younger, you would say, no, I have not tapped in. I never (laughs) Very good. Please continue. I'm sorry to interrupt. So I was giving you my history. So here I am, and I'm, I'm just like a word kind of person without really knowing it. And then I was 13. And I think I just got hold of a copy of the Diary of Anne Frank. Mm. And, I mean, you know, I was very moved by this. I felt very connected and very touched by this. And I wanted to get a diary. I just wanted one. So I think probably for my next birthday or whatever, my parents got me one. And I'm talking, you may not remember this, but I'm talking this like faux leather, you know, this mm-hmm. little mm-hmm. plastic thing with a teeny little uh, tin key. And I just thought that was the cat's meow. And um, <laughs> and because uh, Anne Frank called her diary Dear Kitty, which was so sophisticated, I thought, <laughs> I wanted to call my diary Dear Liz. Because I think Liz Taylor was probably very popular at the time. And I thought nicknames like Liz were just really beyond How that. cute. Yeah, it was. And I <laughs> here's the thing. I think I did this Ruth. Oh, Follett and I were talking one day, and we are talking about pictures of ourselves with our early on journals. I honest to God, I found this in the garage. I mean, it was like almost falling apart, but I saw my dinky little handwriting and I saw mm. the, I was saying, but that was really my first journal. And actually going through it, there are some really important points in there. There's like some indications of things to come. Yes. But that was, that was sort of the beginning. And I put it all aside, and I eventually, you know, when I was in college, and I was in school in Wisconsin, I went to Eau Claire, uh, University of Wisconsin in Eau Claire, and I, I was, this is, a, this is a true story, it's a true tree story. Okay. I was sitting under a tree in 1970, and I was writing my journal, and I had this thought flash through, and it was uh, writing as therapy, honest to God, this is 1970, and I, I'm like, what? 
where did that come? It, it seemed like it came out of the blue, but it came out of something. And I wrote a book journal, and I actually found where I'd written that in 1970. And so, again, I yeah, mm-hmm, let it go. But when it came time to do the master's thesis, I wanted to do something that at that time no one had ever heard of. Mm. What journal writing for self-therapy? Are you crazy? I mean, I fortunately was at the kind of – I was in San Francisco at the time. I was at the kind of school that was open to some exploration. Mm-hmm. It be traditional. And that's what I wrote my um, my thesis on. My committee was like – I remember the guy scribbled on there, get this published. And I was like, what is published? I, bleh, bleh. <laughs> I, I didn't. <laughs> I That's didn't, great. That know, is so great. I wow. I know what to do, but I kind of knew I had something. I just wasn't very good at marketing it and putting it out there. So that's really what, how far back it goes. And, and what, now you've got books out. And now I've got books out about it. <laughs> at the time. I mean, the, the reality is at the time, I think the only people whose stuff I had even looked at was maybe Ira Progoff. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't know his stuff yet either. So I remember someone uh, asked me once, <laughs> what do you do for your literature review? Because there, there wasn't any. Mm-hmm. A lot of what I did was, was my own stuff. I made it up. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like the dialogues were something that came out of my own interest in gestalt therapy, for example. And um, some of the other things just seemed natural. You know what I mean? They were very organic. That's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the gestalt theory and just that whole movement of psychotherapy. My understanding, and it's also limited, the gestalt theory it really focuses on when you're working with a client, instead of going back and talking about childhood stuff and all the past stuff, you're really focusing on like what's happening right now. Is that... That's really it. Yeah. And, and the present, the power of the present moment reveals moment. Yes. everything they need to get moving in the direction they need. Right. And so, so if you, I'm going to pretend you're sitting next to me and um, when we're talking and and I'd say, so, Nick, I feel so comfortable here. Oh. <laughs> I'm so glad. Let's pay attention to your comfort. You know what I mean? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Your left toe was twitching or your left hand was twitching. And I'd say, well, let's talk about that. And if your hand had a voice, what would it say? So basically what happened is Fritz Perls took the concept of the gestalt or the whole. And Perls was, a, um, I believe, a psychiatrist that was it came from, um, I think, think it was Berlin. So it was about the 60s, 70s, somewhere around there. And Pearls ended up at um, Esalen mm. in California, which at the time was, wow, you know, this was the most out there personal growth, as my husband would say, woo woo stuff you could imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, all that the self-awareness <laughs> movement really started to get, take really- flight. Which is probably how this whole journal business started. So Pearls kind of came up with this thing of um, it's not only in the here and now, but that you, when we own the projection, in other words, if I'm feeling something negative, I project it onto someone else because I don't want to look at it. What he would do is bring those pieces together. Mm. And if you think about it, doesn't that really sound a little bit like the dialogue method that we use in writing? I mean, yeah, yeah. Connect. In other words, so my hand is my hand is weird. My hand is twitchy. So what do I do? Well, maybe I'll have a dialogue with my hand, and then my hand is saying, "I really want to get up and move." And it's like, "Okay, tell me about your." You see what I mean? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, in uh, the therapy office, we would call that we might call that gestalt work, but two chair work. You know, one part is talking to another part. You may be talking to another person. So that goes back and forth. And I thought, well, what if I wrote this down instead of just Talk. I mean, I was in a Gestalt group. I was learning how to do this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it just occurred to me to write it down. Yeah, and um, I wonder if you have an opinion about. I'm sure you have. I'm hoping you have an opinion about the effectiveness of the talk therapy, even though you're doing practically the same exercise, versus having um, somebody who understands these principles of you know what the. Obviously, if you put a paper in front of somebody and just say, start writing, they could get lost. It's very yeah. easy. Just like if you put a violin in my hand, I would yeah. be completely lost. But with some guidance and some coaching about what to write, what do you say is the difference between these two modalities? Well, basically, the way I would describe that is you're talking about the difference between what I refer to as free form stream of consciousness. People call it other things, but free form has always sort of worked for me versus a more focused dialogue. 
And in the dialogue, these are the instructions I would give someone if they were to write a dialogue. Mm -hmm. So, you know, first, of course, settle in and quiet yourself. And let's say, here's a good example. Let's say I'm talking to a, a young woman who is beginning to raise a family and also has a career she wants to pursue. And she's constantly like juggling these things. So I'd say, okay, so one part of you is her, let's give her a name. And I love to do names and dialogues like mm. Miss Career, you know, Ms. Go for it, Ms. Career versus Ms. Mom, you know, and mm -hmm. I have her mom part, talk to her career part. And the first thing people say is, well, I don't know what she'd say. And I'd say, yes, you do. Because <laughs> both of those parts are inside of you. You're mm -hmm. just giving them voice. And once I say that, people kind of give me this look like, this woman is really out of it. <laughs> and I, you know, I don't mind. Because this to me is one of the most exciting things about journal writing. People. Yes. What happens is once people get into it, you hear, if I'm doing like a whole day workshop or something, you hear these little, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> and it's like girls called way before Oprah Winfrey called the aha moment. Yes. Oh, that was Fritz. Yeah, that was Fritz. I was just reading that online the other day. I'm like, they were talking about this new word in the dictionary. It's like, oh, please, this goes back to Esalen. This is Fritz Perl. You know how that uh -huh. happened. Yeah, yeah. Aha moment, really. I, maybe it was even used before, but definitely Fritz Perl's used it. It's the moment where those pieces come together. And the dialogue's a perfect example because at some point, this woman who's writing, her mom part and her career part are going to go, hold on, let's talk together. Yes, yes. Let's work this out. Let's work this out. And you can't see me right now, but I just inadvertently put my hands together, sort of woven, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and that's exactly the feeling of what happens. And the way I illustrate it when I'm in front of a group is I take two chairs and I say, okay, this is one part, this is the other. Have a conversation. Mm -hmm, and forget, mm -hmm. just imagine that being that other part. And so I took this gestalt therapy work I've been learning and began to apply it to writing. Very nice. I love that. And, you know, there's another word that's um, another, maybe this is a slightly newer buzzword that maybe has already been there years and years, but it's <laughs> being used a lot now in neuroscience, you know, mm -hmm. um, different aspects of your brain, different parts of your brain being able to integrate. Integration is the yes. word. People are talking yeah. about having an integrated you know, mind on something. And yes. I can see this is doing it as well. What do you say is the difference between talk therapy and like, where you do the same exercise and you're doing the dialogue and having the written dialogue? Here's how I might do it. And I describe this in my book. It's like if someone is in my office, I might say, okay, change chairs. Now you're the using the same example for continuity here, the mom part of you and then the uh, career woman part of you. Mm -hmm. And I might have her change chairs, being each speaking, you know, to the empty chair, being one part than the other. And then if that does not conclude, it would be very simple to say, this is great. You've made great progress. Take this home and put it on paper. Mm -hmm. I see them very interrelated. It will have a little bit of a different feel, but that's basically the concept is you're continuing that dialogue in that case with mm -hmm. talk therapy. Talk therapy, just if I was just talking to the woman, that could be quite effective as well. But in terms of integrating these parts experientially, I think the dialogue has some power over that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very nice. I, I like that. Where you have the dialogue so they experience it. Exactly. Uh, and then the homework, if you will, take yeah. it home and put yeah. this on paper because there's something for me about writing it out makes it concrete. It gives right. it it gives it a little more weight and um, pins it down instead yeah. of it just being a floating concept in my mind that I could forget over a you know a slice of pizza later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. As we know, that's what. Here's the thing, you know, a lot of this is sort of intuitive. And then when bless his heart, you know, when Penny Baker came out with all this and said, "This is what's happening," making <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this up, you basically, when you retell the story, when you write it out, you are bringing things to a conclusion. And they make sense. So what we've, uh, this is how I usually start a lecture. It's like what we've known intuitively, there's science behind it now. And mm -hmm. that's the good thing. So we don't have to feel like we just, what is this stuff that makes sense? We, it, that's kind of brings some closure to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you've gone from 13 year old Susan who just started with uh, a diary. 
dear uh, Liz, yes. <laughs> to Liz, yep. <laughs> and then to now having books and uh, using journal writing in your therapy, having a thesis. There are many, many people um, wanting to, and then they've been writing and they've been, they know, and I'm, I'm one of them, mm-hmm. want, know that writing has real power to it. It has the ability to transform not just what I'm thinking about, but who I am and where my life is headed. Mm-hmm. And um, they want to teach this to other people and share this with other people. I've got uh, uh, a lot of people in this audience uh, who, who want to take it further. What do you recommend? Well, first of all, starting. Do you, you know, mm-hmm. there is no right or wrong way to do this. And find a method that works. I mean, I'm just going to do through a very basic thing and just really quickly find a method that works. This business with, you know, um, online uh, typing, writing, it doesn't matter. Now, people will tell you that that's and that's their <laughs> experience. I'm saying in my experience, I've done both and I do both. But the... um the method doesn't matter. It's the idea of the process. I mean, what Penny Baker said was you could talk to a shower curtain or you could write it out. I personally prefer writing it out rather than talking to a shower curtain, but that's just personal preference. Mm-hmm. Part. But the, the idea being find a method that works. And if you don't know a method, start with a hard copy, start with a, a notebook, get tools that you love. This mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. important. I have a, a story I tell sometimes, and it's the woman that came up to me during the break when I was teaching in local uh, college, and she says, I- I'm just not getting this. And I said, well, I see you have an orange pen around your neck. You know, it was kind of like one of those things that fits on a string around your neck. Mm-hmm. I said, what do you think about orange? And she says, I hate orange. And I said, well, maybe you just want to start with a better pen. You know what I mean? It's like because, <laughs> I mean, it seemed like, hello, but, but it was, I mean, it wasn't really, she didn't think about that. So get tools you love. Get tools you love and then find a place that's quiet. Now, I'm a tentored introversion and I have many clients who, honest to God, their office is Starbucks. So sometimes around a lot of people, I don't. I like it quiet. Everybody go away. I'm shutting the door. Don't talk to me. Mm -hmm. I'm quiet when I write and sit for a few minutes. Take a couple of deep breaths. Let your body relax. Just be present with yourself and the very easiest way to do this is to start writing and if you don't know what to write you say i don't know what to write yes <laughs> right anyway yes but my goes in a free form and eventually ideas will begin to form you may do a paragraph or two on this is stupid this is why you know people say i don't want to do this and i'm still thinking about my my omelet from breakfast and whatever and it's like eventually you get it's almost like a pyramid i mean a reverse pyramid yes kind of narrow down oh what am i thinking feeling and that's an excellent place to start that's a great way to say it for the people who don't know what to write i've used those words you just said you know if you don't know what to write then write about that Mm -hmm. um but i love just saying you know what if you start with your breakfast this morning or you know the chair you're sitting on or if you just start with something you will eventually drift over to what's important to you i mean it's almost natural right exactly yeah, yeah. that is what happens it's it's almost like settling in you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sit down in your chair and you start with what's closest you start with your the body your feelings in your body you start with the kind of crazy stuff that's going on in your head when people like, especially if they've been trying to find the room and they're in a workshop and they're like, what did I put in the parking thing? Okay. Get all that. Get that all down. Did I do the parking? Did I not? Did I breakfast? <laughs> Whatever. Now you're present and it takes people. I'd say give it at least 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. What I say is you can do a lot in 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Uh, well, Susan, I'm going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I want to hear about your book. I know about this book, and I'm excited for you to share with the Journal Talk listeners about it. it um, it's kind of a surprise book because the title is a little deceptive, um, <laughs> and it's got three wonderful parts to it. Uh, and then uh, would you lead us in a journal activity of some kind? It would be a pleasure, yes. All right, great. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Journal Talk. This episode is sponsored by EasyJournaling.com. Easy Journaling is the only website focused on digital journaling, serving a growing audience looking for the best journal app 
online journaling tools, and the best digital journaling practices. Check out www.easyjournaling.com and receive a free download of The Three Things You Should Know Before Starting a Digital Journal. And now, back to more Journal Talk. I'm back with Susan Borkin, psychotherapist, author, teacher, uh, pioneer in the field of journal writing before there ever was a field. <laughs> when it was <laughs> before there was a field, I think uh, there was Susan making a field. Thank you, Susan, for making this field for us all. I've been, really been enjoying this conversation, and I want to hear about um, the healing power of writing, your new book, and the deceptive subtitle yeah. that's there. Yeah. Um, but before we do that, I also wanted to ask your opinion about folks who are wanting to become journal therapists or people who can use journal writing in life, and especially people who aren't already therapists. Mm -hmm. There's coaches, there's teachers, they want to find ways to use journal writing. And maybe this is a lead into your book, of course. (laughs) But what would be your advice to those people who are just starting out? I know writing has great power. How do I introduce it to people? What are some tips on how to share that power with other people? Well, that's a very fair question. And here's an interesting response, because what people think, this is what therapists do when we go to continuing ed. We have our notebooks, Mm -hmm. we have our computer to take notes, and we sit there and we're very much in our head. And here's what I feel is the underlying problem with that. When I teach a journaling workshop to therapists, to physicians, it doesn't matter. I would want people to have the experience themselves. So don't be teaching others if you ain't done it. You know what I mean? Of course. Yes, of course. So so the way I conduct workshops and the way I would recommend anybody, of course, there's wonderful training out there. There's all kinds of possibilities for how to learn to do this. But the most important part, I think, is to be doing it yourself because it's very, you know, you've got a client who says, well, I can't write. I don't because when I was in third grade, my teacher said I had bad handwriting and I've never written, you know, these kind of horror stories of, of what people have had to deal with about writing. And there's embarrassment. My brother found my journal when I was, you know, 12 years old. And, you know, and there's lots of nobody's ever neutral about writing. Mm. It's always a big deal or it's yes, I love it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's, That's a good point. You know what I mean? And so it's not a natural thing. We don't naturally move toward it. We do have to have sort of an an invitation to it. But I'm suggesting that anybody who wants to work with other people and teach this stuff, you be doing it yourself. Yes. Learn how to do it. And you have that experience literally in your body. So you know what you're talking about. And you're not ever asking someone to do something you have not done. So, for example, a a workshop I'm in the uh, it's coming up actually quite soon in a couple of months. I'll be doing this for continuing it for therapists. Mm. It's the workshop. And I say it very clearly. I don't, I don't want people to feel fooled or tricked into being in the workshop. This is a highly experiential deal. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to go through the exercises. And then I'll talk about how to introduce to your clients. But you need to sit down and do your own biographical statement. You need to sit down and do your own wish list or I don't want list or your own dialogues or your own freeform writing. When you have a feel for it, the teaching of it becomes almost not an issue. Yes, that's such a good point. That's such a good point. Experience it. And this is how I knew, by the way, that I wanted to do something with it is I attended a ProGoff workshop. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I need now I see even more. I've been writing for almost 30 years before that. But when I took that workshop and saw how all these exercises really came together and now I understand how it ties in with therapy. And, you know, uh, it made me want to go and become a therapist. Yes. <laughs> so that I could talk about this more. <laughs> and if you do that. I'm not going to tell you not to, but you don't have to. You see what I mean? Yeah. You have to because the material is available without doing that. I came to it, I don't know. I kind of came to it where both things came together for me. Yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah. It's not necessarily something you have to do in that way, but. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your new book. Okay. One of my favorite things to talk about. <laughs> and and what you were saying about the title. Yeah. Here's what happened. The, I love the title. And the title is, I remember my editor saying to me, the healing power of writing is the title. Okay. And yes. so that's great. However, in 
the subtitle, it's called A Therapist's Guide to Using Journaling with Clients. Well, we had to do that because I was uh, I was writing the book for Norton, and I'm in that part of their huge Norton, uh, you know, world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, uh, therapists write for their colleagues. So it's professional. It's their professional division. So we had to make it attractive to a therapist. But what I want to tell everybody is what's happening is that the feedback I'm getting from non-therapists is this is so good because my style of writing, I am so not academic. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like, I like live in the world of, can you make it easier to understand for people? Plain English, please. Oh my God. And I just, you know, I, I just talk and I talk about cases and I talk about well, you know, they're always conglomerate things. You can't talk about your actual clients, but there are things that indicate stories that indicate. So what I've been told, the feedback I'm getting and the reviews are saying that it's it's very accessible to anybody. And That's so great. the part of me wants to like take that s- subtitle out. And yet it really is. It was written and designed for therapists. But really, anyone who has got a serious interest in journaling or using journaling to heal can use this book very readily. There's very little in it that you won't understand. Right. And and it's really just that first part. There's three parts. Mm-hmm. And that first part is really dealing with sort of the history uh, of journaling and therapy and just, uh, like you said, um, cases. And um, that's all the techie th- therapist stuff, or, right? Or that. Yeah, right. But the other two sections are amazing, amazing. And that middle section in particular, and I get questions. I have a, another program, uh, Journal Talk Q&A, and I have people write in questions. And I get questions, and I should ask you some of these, what were your, your thoughts on some of these. Like, what, how do you uh, use journal writing for anxiety? How would journal writing benefit somebody who is feeling depressed? You know, so they've gotten either they've self-diagnosed or they actually have this, you know, they've they've been visiting a, a counselor, somebody, a therapist, and they've get, they've got this diagnosis, and they want to use journal writing for that specific, um, you know, tr- for a treatment, for a specific type of treatment. And this middle part of the book, tell us about it. Yes, it does do that. And again, this was, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful to have an experienced editor who knows what she's doing. She said. Here's the way we have to do it. We have to say the problem, do the diagnosis, do the diagnostic thing first, and then give a solution. So the whole second part of the book, which is the primary part of the book, is presenting problems and journaling solutions. So I take everything from adjustment disorders, which is um, what I call growing pains of adult life. I mean, translated into really accessible language. It's sort of stuff going on. You're moving, you're getting a divorce, you're getting married, you're having a baby, anything that's a big shift, but you're not, there's no mental illness associated with it. It's normal life that's stressful. I address that and anxiety. If you're diagnosed with anxiety or you feel anxious, those are some great things to do. Depression is to me, I particularly have a strong feeling about that because I just, if you've ever been depressed or you know anyone who's been depressed, it is, it, you know, people say snap out of it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, the introduction to that chapter in particular is you can't snap out of it. It is a physical, uh, physiological, mental, emotional depression. Mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm. just do that. But there are some very gentle ways of bringing the feeling of more positive things sort of into your awareness. And I also am a, a positive psychology person. So this is sort of sprinkled through with with a lot of material from positive psychology. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, for example, um, if you're feeling anxious, you're feeling, de- particularly if you're feeling depressed, if you do the three good things exercise that uh, Marty Seligman um, developed, mm-hmm. the three good things exercise, if you do that every day, what are three good things that happen to me? And you start looking for those things. And then you add the second part, which is um, what was your part in getting that thing to happen? In other words, you you begin to see yourself as someone capable of bringing good things into your life. Mm. Um, I saw a fabulous play the other night. That's my good thing. What did I have to do with it? Well, I called the box office and I got tickets. Oh, that could just <laughs> fall into my lap. Do you see what I mean? I specifically had something to do with it. Yes, so, yes. And, taking and, taking ownership for yeah. your for the good things in life. 
for your exactly. And it, it there's a part of me that's going to sound so insipid and so smiley face, but I am telling you, it's very powerful as an exercise. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the kind of thing that that I I'm talking about here. Um, we're going to say something. It sounds like. No, I, I was just going to, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I'm just making okay. the, listening. I, I love what you're saying. I'm eating up every word, Susan. Okay. Um, to take this, uh, the next step, talk about the third section of the book. Right. The third section is designed for, it could be therapists, it could be anybody, again, who wants to use this as a helping tool. And I, I talk about, for example, let's say you are a therapist and you're stuck in, and you get five minutes between sessions and you can't get hold of your favorite person you like to talk to cases with, you know, your consultant or someone that you want to talk to. So you sit down and you have a little dialogue yourself mm. with yourself. I mean, it sounds like so silly, but you know what? It works because you all you need is to kind of do that basic centering thing. Mm-hmm. So um, it, I call that whole section uh, helping our clients, helping ourselves, which brings me back to what we were just talking about, which is doing the actual exercises yourself. Yes. Yeah. And, and that whole third section is like getting out of the roadblocks. Yes. Right. Finding ways to get past those stopping points. Right. Exactly. I love it. I love it. And there's so many things. (laughs) I'm stumbling on my own words because there's just so much. I would love to continue this at another time. We have, I know we have limited time. Exactly. That's, I want to get to the next, uh, I want to get to the, I want to talk about your journaling exercise. It's called from catastrophic to realistic. Yes. And uh, tell us what you mean about that and what exercise could the uh, listening audience today go to their journals with uh, when they've got uh, 15 or 30 minutes. Okay. This actually, uh, it's it came from, a, again, I, I don't just go to one source. I get information from a lot of places in the world. But a lot of my clients, a lot of people I know, catastrophize something. It's like we say, what is your catastrophic expectation? So, you got a guy and he's going to he's going to law school say and um he's he's going to take the bar and his horrible expectation his catastrophic thing that happens is he'll sit there he'll pick up the pen and he'll forget his own name you know this is like the <laughs> and you know how it is things never go as badly as we think they don't usually go as right. rapidly as we think this exercise from catastrophic to realistic is a balancing exercise. It uses something called mental contrasting, which is taking two different ideas, the negative and the positive, and balancing them. And mm. there's, there is science. We don't need to go into that part, but there is science behind why it is that this works. And I developed this thing. I make up names. I just love to make up names for things and initials for things. I created a word called pen visioning. I love that. I mean, because think about it, you're using your pen, you're writing down the vision, but instead of just writing a positive thing, you're writing the negative. So should I just, I'm going to just read this and. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. That'd be great. Um, so again, catastrophic to realistic. So I'm going to suggest that people would begin by sitting quietly for several moments and be aware of an upcoming event or a situation and think of both the potential good things that can come out of it, the potential outcome, and think about the negative things that could come out of it or the fears that you have or the, oh my God, I, I didn't get dressed this morning. I'm standing in front of a group of people or I left my slide presentation. My PowerPoint is in another, it's another computer. <laughs> but whatever. So the, the catastrophic expectation and then the positive. So as you're ready Sit down and close your eyes, get very clear of the best possible outcome, and write that down. That's the pen visioning. You're in your mind's eye, you're seeing yourself get up there, your Academy Award winning presentation. <laughs> it's the best possible thing. Now, this time, after that, you feel really good about that, close your eyes again and imagine something catastrophic happening. You drop the microphone, you lose a contact lens, you're completely blind, you lose a contact lens right before, you know, and any of those kinds of catastrophic fears. So you picture about what could go wrong, what fears, why this is so hard, and then you stop Hmm. that down. And then you go back and you go to the positive outcome again. 
what could possibly be ha- happening? What's the good thing? And the, again, back to the, the uh, potential obstacle. What happens between these two things is a probably realistic thing. You First of all, you're reminding yourself of all the things that could go wrong. Therefore, you're more likely to be prepared. Mm. Bring an extra contact lens. <laughs> Check your stuff. You know what I mean? You're, you're mentally rehearsing. Yes. You're for what could go wrong, but you're also imagining the best outcome. What I like about this is it's very different from the just imagine the perfect world and just. Right, <laughs> right, right. Airy fairy for me. So this brings it down to earth. This says, okay, this is now not catastrophic. This is realistic. Uh, everything will probably not go perfectly well, but the more I envision it going well, great. Use the obstacles to prepare. That's wonderful. That's, you know, I think what you just spoke is at the heart of what they mean when they talk about the law of attraction, mm-hmm. you know, because when you spend time on those energies, you know, and, and put out those images, it's not personally, I have a hard time, just like you said, the airy fairy stuff, yeah. putting something out there and then some universal, you know, grandfather is going to bring it to you. I don't really, it's hard for me to buy into that. Exactly. But if you, Take it like you just said, where I'm spending time with this so that I can be ready, so that when those events do unfold, I have already mapped out some options for myself. Then, of course, when those things happen, they will happen a little bit better than they would have happened if you didn't do that exercise. And and that, to me, is the heart of the law of attraction. I I, I agree with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Susan, wow. Thank you so much. And how can we get a copy of this book, uh, The Healing Power of Writing? Well, I love my book. I mean, is that just too <laughs> narcissistic to say? I love it too. Don't worry. It's a shared thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, I, you know, if I'm doing some other work, sometimes I actually go to my own book, which is Wow, kind of- that is telling. That means that's you've created thing. a reference book for yourself. And those are usually the best kinds. Yeah. So, you know, I just had to say that because I'm what I'm going to say. I hate my I love my book. Okay, so here's what you do. You can order it from a bookstore. You can order it from the publisher Norton. You can go straight to Amazon or whoever your favorite online, you know, bookstore is. It can be made available or it is available. Personally, I'm a kind of a fan of Amazon. So I suggest people go there. It's very easy. They're always discounted. Uh, If you have Amazon Prime, there is no cost for shipping. Just saying that as an Amazon Prime member. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, it's the healing power of writing a therapist guide to using journaling with clients. I am Susan Borkin and the book's published by W.W. Norton. Susan, do you have any specials for Journal Talk listeners? I do, Nathan, because the second book I wrote, When Your Heart Speaks, Take Good Notes, I have a surplus at this point, and I, I just want to move the books on. They're not doing a lot of good being boxed up, and I want hmm. people that to is, have That them. was a good book. <laughs> Thank you. Especially <laughs> like the title on that one. I know. That's such a yeah, beautiful a great title. title. I love but that. But what I want people to have it who care about it, you know, who mm-hmm. would have some interest. So here's what I'm willing to do. I'm happy to do this. I'd like to give it to people free. And there's no strings attached. None Whoa. of these, you know, uh, win a trip or anything like that. Um, the <laughs> this, only thing I'm going to This isn't a raffle? To- <laughs> no, 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 not at all. <laughs> I, I'm just going to um, ask people to pay for postage. So I'm going to give you a website. And it's a secret website. You can't find it and let, you know, you won't know what it is. So if people listening, when you go to the website, we're just going to get your name and address so we can send you the book, credit card information, and we'll talk to you about how much it'll be. Uh, It's just exactly whatever you would be paying for postage yourself. I see. um, I see. You know, but that's totally fair. That makes so much sense because if you've got them there in your Mm -hmm. own storage, Right. And and I know what that's like. I still have s- copies of uh, The Soul of Success. I thought I'd run out quickly and I, I got ambitious and ordered my own. So that is so generous, actually, Susan, that you because you had to purchase those, I'm sure, at some point. Y- yeah, I did. I mean, it's a while ago, but they're still sitting there and they're still, and, and it's they're a still great, very current. It's a great book and it's still it, the content is still very relevant. And I think it makes total sense that people uh, pay their own uh, postage. Because we've got people all over the world. There's people yeah. in Canada, the UK, down under. I know there's uh, several listeners in uh, in Scotland and Europe. 
So, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, so hopefully we will exhaust your surplus. That would be lovely for <laughs> it's win-win, isn't it? That's right. Yeah. And Penzu people too. Okay. All well, right. excellent. And we'll, we'll go to, we don't have any more books. How's that? All right. Till All su- right. Until supplies last. Until supply. I always <laughs> wanted to say that, Nathan, until <laughs> supply. Yeah, while supplies last. While supplies okay. last. And I here, like it. I will give you now the, um, Oh, yes. How do we do this? Yes. How do you do this? You go to www.susanborkin.com backslash journal talk. And that's one word, journal talk. Okay. Um, So susanborkin.com backslash journal talk, all one word. And that should take you to the secret ordering page. Excellent. All right. May there be a nice, healthy flood. Yes, that would be lovely because <laughs> better in other people's hands than a flood. Yes, that's true. Yes. Okay. All right. Susan, as we wrap up here, is there anything else you would like to invite uh, our audience uh, to do or to consider? No, I think, you know, the hardest part, Nathan, and you know this, of any creative venture is beginning. Yes. So it's like, here's my really very sophisticated way of saying this. Put your butt in the chair. <laughs> you know, sit down unless you like to stand and write. Most of us like to sit, put your butt in the chair and pick up a pen, pick up your and computer. Just do it. And, and just start with, why am I doing this? I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing, etc. But do it because it's the, yes, it's the butt in the chair routine. And that's what's going to get the job done. Very good. I wholeheartedly agree. And on that note, I think I'm going to hang up and I haven't written yet today. So that's my (laughs) motivation to do my today's writing. Susan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your time. And thank you so much for all that you're doing and you continue to do for the people on this planet. Oh, bless your heart. And Nathan, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you and giggling a little because that's (laughs) how I am and um, just wonderful to uh, to work with you so thank you so much for having me you bet we'll talk again soon I hope okay great this episode of journal talk is copyright and brought to you by write for life a web resource for living with passion clarity and purpose through journal writing find us online at www.writeforlife.us spelled w-r-i-t-e the number four l-i-f-e dot u-s thanks again for listening to journal talk Da-da-da.